0: this podcast discusses content that may be triggering for some listeners please be advised discussions include gambling language types of gambling and addiction
1: hello and welcome to the hidden addiction podcast this podcast is brought to you by the mid-hudson problem gambling resource center under the new york council on problem gambling Across New York State, we have seven resource centers dedicated to connecting individuals to care. We are here to increase awareness about problem gambling and advocate for support services for persons adversely affected by problem gambling. Gambling is defined as risking something of value on a game of chance. There can be many types of gambling, and it can affect anyone at any time in their life. It may not be talked about often and kept in the dark, but we hope this podcast sheds light on the hidden addiction of gambling and brings forth resources and information for you to use. Hello, welcome to episode four of the hidden addiction. Today we will be talking about the LGBTQ Plus community and how they are affected by problem gambling or gambling addiction. My name is Leilani Yizer-Reed. I am
0: the team leader for the Mid-Hudson region and we have my co-host today. I'm Amanda Quintana, the program manager with the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center. And we are joined by two lovely guests. We have uh, Ashley Owen and Craig Johnson. Would you guys mind just introducing yourself for the listeners that are tuning in today?
2: Sure. I am Ashley Owen. I am one of the team leaders of
0: the New
2: York City Problem Gambling Resource Center. I mean, I've been doing some research um, on this topic and I'm part of this community. So I'm really just happy to kind of um, bring all of it together and share with you all a little bit about what I've learned.
1: Thank you, Ashley, for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. Great.
3: My name is Craig Johnson. I'm one of the clinicians uh, actually up in the uh, Finger Lakes region, uh, licensed mental health counselor in a KSAC with the gambling specialty. And uh, we'll have a couple comments on uh, working with uh, some de-identified individuals uh, with, uh, with gambling issues. So very excited to be here today. This is a great opportunity. Thank you
1: so much, Craig. And again, thank you, Ashley, for joining us today. This is such a... A great topic to have, especially during uh, this month, is Pride Month. But it's an important topic to have because it's not often just like gambling. It's not often talked about. And we wanted to help shine a light on um, the community. And we also wanted to help shine a light on what does this addiction look like within the community? So just for our listeners and people who may not know, who are not familiar with the LGBTQ plus, what does that acronym stand for?
2: Yeah, so that acronym, um, yeah, so the current one is LGBTQIA plus. <laughs> I know it's a lot of letters to remember and that's okay, a for effort, right? <laughs> um, so that stands for you know, anybody who identifies as uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, um, questioning, you know, the, the Q can be both for questioning people who have not, are not yet certain that they identify, you know, um, in one of these ways, but are exploring it. Um, it also stands for queer, which, um, not too long ago, I think as recently as like the nineties and early two thousands was still kind of a, um, derogatory term, um, but people in the community have since um, reclaimed it, um, you know, and and now use it with pride. So so the Q kind of stands for both of those things. And then, um, you know, the I stands for uh, intersex, which refers to somebody who um, is, you know, either born with like both male and female uh, genitalia or genitalia that is um, kind of ambiguous as to whether it's male or female. Um, And also folks who um, identify as gender non-binary. So basically, um, you know, they don't identify as transgender in the sense that um, they, are not experiencing identifying from a gender other than like the gender opposite of what they were born at um, but rather like they don't see themselves as either completely on the male or female spectrum and then the a stands for asexual um, you know which is somebody who does not experience sexual arousal or desire so those are kind of all of the representations um, and then the plus is kind of added because, um, again, you know, to kind to to include people that are also questioning, you know, and to include, you know, a lot of, you know, what we're learning about, you know, gender and sexual identity is involving, right? So it kind of encompasses anybody who um, has the experience of feeling like they are um, in a gender or sexual related minority, but doesn't quite fit into any of those labels.
1: Thank you for clarifying that. Um, You said it well and defined it in a way that we all can understand. So thank you. Um, Let's just get into it. You know, what is the research saying? What are the trends out there Um, from a, one from a clinical uh, uh, point of view as well as, as well as you know your role as as a team leader and what you're seeing in the community and in New York City, particularly uh, you're in Staten Island community, yeah, yeah. Um, just the research that you sh- you you've seen and also the trends that you've seen as a clinician. What are some of the trends around
2: um, problem uh, problem gambling and within this community? Sure, I mean I can start with um I can start with kind of the bigger picture of the resource of the um of the research um, and then maybe pass it to Craig to talk a little bit about what he sees in, in the clinical trends. But um, so, from a research perspective, there's not a lot of information available about um, the overlap between you know people who identify um, you know on the LGBTQ spectrum and uh, and problem gambling. Um, basically, when I did research about it, any like article or anything I found about it. Um, They all kind of linked back to two studies that were done. Um, One study done in 2006, which looked at um, males coming into treatment for a gambling problem um, and assessed how many of those males identified as gay or bisexual. Um, And the results were that about 20% of the people coming into treatment um, identified as gay or bisexual. And this is coming into treatment for problem gambling, which is significant. I mean, that means that like one in every five men that walked through the door um, identified as gay or bi, which is which is significant because if you look at the general population for males, I think it's now between it, it hovers between like three percent and four point five percent. Um, that's kind of the range for males who identify as gay or bisexual in the general population. So if you look at that three to 4% next to 20%, um, gay and, gay and bisexual males were very much overrepresented, um, in that, uh, in that study. Granted, it was a small sample size. It was only 105 men, which is a pretty small sample size, but but that's what it found. And the other study um, that's been cited in more recent research about this was a study done in Australia in 2015. Um, And that was an even smaller sample size. That was a sample size of only 69 participants. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And the way this study was done it was basically a survey that was sent to people who already identified um, as somewhere on the lgBT spectrum and this survey basically asked them you know about uh, gambling habits um, reasons for gambling amount of money spent spent on gambling the impact um, on gambling of their rest of their life and of those 69 participants i believe, 14 of them, so again, roughly around 20% met uh, diagnostic criteria for a gambling problem. So again, that's like, you know, one in five LGBTQIA respondents. Acknowledge, you know, disclose, you know, that they have um, gambling habits that could meet the criteria for gambling disorder. So that was kind of fascinating. How it was still that, even though we're working with a small sample size, it was still that um, 20% number both ways, um, like a 20% overlap. Which, yeah, I mean, one in five, like that's that that's significant, right? And Mm -hmm. I I will say that there were limitations to that data. um, For one. Um, males were overrepresented, Uh, females and transgender folks were underrepresented. Um, The first study had no females or no transgender folks. Um, And the second study I think had uh, two transgender folks, um, two people who identified as non-binary, um, and the rest lesbian, gay, or bisexual. And about like two thirds of those were men, right? So that's one limitation, you know, women and, uh, and transgender and non-binary folks all underrepresented. Um, another limit limitation to the data was it was a heavily white sample population. Um, so that's another limitation. And again, I, really small sample sizes we're working with, but it is the only quantitative data we have at this point.
0: Yeah, I do find that really interesting. And and one of the things that, you know, I know that um, recently, Ashley, I know you've been working hard on a training that is going to be um, shared statewide. That's going to be a really, really excellent uh, training to share so we can continue these conversations. But one of the things that you mentioned was, um, you know, in addition to quantitative data that we have, right, these samples and these studies that you've been able to find, there is really excellent qualitative data that's also Um, out there. And and that goes into, you know, any trends that we're seeing, not only just, you know, within the community itself, but also in, you know, clinical practices or anything like that. Um, So do either you or Craig have anything to add just, you know, to this conversation specifically about any trends you're seeing, um, or, you know, how gambling and problem gambling are impacting this community?
3: Yeah, I guess you know my comment. Kind of good after, uh, good afternoon, good morning, whenever you're watching this. Uh, and uh, yeah, the uh, I don't have a lot of comments on the overall trends. I think my uh, experience and observations are a bit more myopic in terms of the clinical setting and very specific people. And uh, but but a few things jump out in, in in terms of working with individuals who identify as LGBTQ. And one is um, is isolation. Uh, that, that uh, there have been you know certainly some uh, connections and Ashley could probably even enlighten us some more in terms of historically uh, bars, uh, clubs, and and places where people can get together and not feel as uh, singled out or stigmatized to feel among friends uh, in a positive, fun, accepting kind of environment and uh, it, you know, there, there seems to be a, a bit of a similarity that people may feel in a casino. Uh, casinos are 24-7, bright light, uh, you know, all kinds of different people kind of can come in and out at two in the afternoon or two in the morning and... And uh, it, it's a place where people can kind of congregate and meet and hang out. So it appears as though there may be some attraction. And just like when you're at the bar or the club, you're kind of apt to drink. Uh, when you're at the casino, you're kind of apt to gamble, you know. Um, but as part of that that, that connection, you know another uh, key uh, dynamic or, or, or type of driver that, uh, that I've observed um, is, uh, the, uh, the, the desire for some sort of, of retreat or consolation. I, I think of, uh, you know, one individual uh, who uh, it was in the context of a, a cruise and a, a painful breakup with uh, his boyfriend and, and these kinds of things. And so it was one of those, you know, I, I don't care, pedal to the metal kind of moments, 20,000 bucks in the casino. You, you, you know, that kind of, uh, of thing. And, and so it seems as though, they're, they're, and, and any of us can feel isolated, especially coming out of a pandemic or in, in the lifestyles we have today. Any of us can, can feel that, that need for, for some excitement and some relief or some way to deal with, with grieving or a loss or a troubled time in our life um but there does seem to be a, a quite a powerful connection uh for for people that identify as lgbtq to uh the gambling uh to the to, to the casino you know the other thing that that with the people i've worked with quite often there is what we call some coexisting depression <clears throat> and this too can be related to you know any number of things any of us are, are susceptible to, to, to uh, depressiveness, um, but depression in terms of uh, this lifestyle where people can get very isolated. Uh, and again, that's sort of the context of, of, of the pandemic and, and other uh, factors in people's lives, but uh, it certainly has been very pervasive with the people that I've seen with, uh, with problem gambling issues is the, the, the isolation. And uh, I, I remember one gentleman just sort of, you know, was there and just by himself, by himself, work home, work home, and uh, it, it just got to him. And it was like the only place he felt like he really could could get out was either the casinos when they were open or the online, uh, the scratch offs, which of course is one of the things about gambling is it's kind of like bad food in our society. It's available everywhere all the time and and with the the new changes. So if you're alone and you can't sleep and it's two in the morning, you can gamble. There are lots of ways to gamble in those circumstances and feel some sort of pleasure in an unpleasurable life.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, um, Craig, what you mentioned about feeling safe you know, in these places and feeling um, like this is where you can build a community. I know that, um, you know, again, just referring back to Ashley, that training that you had recently, I know you had mentioned that oftentimes in the community, uh, gambling and different gambling establishments are viewed as safe places. Um, Would you mind just sharing a little bit more about, you know, what you found with that? And I know you had a lot of really great information. I just want to share it here as well. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I had, you know, in the context of when, you know, I was, um, you know, gathering the the qualitative data, um, from LGBT folks that I know just kind of asking them questions about this, you know, I, I spoke with two, um, lesbian identifying women who are now in their fifties. And what they told me is that, you know, and, and I am, there's the caveat that this, um, the degree of this could range right based on you know based on physical location right but that in in some places um especially you know going back two or three decades ago right before you know there were um like uh you know lgbtqia centers more more widespread um in cities that the casino it it I don't even know if safe is is the right word, but it was kind of like a neutral space to go, you know. And 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 these women were telling me that they each had the per, you know. I mean, nobody you you don't know somebody's sexual orientation by looking at them. However, they they did say that they um had a had a presentation and style that was not consistent with female um not consistent with female social norms. So like they would get like harassed, you know, when they went to other places and like be called slurs, um, you know, because of that, their appearance, but when they went to the casino, um, you know, casino staff, you're there to gamble. They treat you like royalty, you know? And if, and, and, you know, the way they put it to me is they said, you know, if there were any other bigots there, they were too busy gambling and celebrating to, um, like harass us or like give us any negative um, attention, you know, so in a sense it was, um, I mean, maybe not a safe space in the sense that safe spaces are designated now, but like a neutral space where they could just go and be like, all right, well, at least at the casino, nobody's gonna harass me. You know, people um, generally appear to be in a good mood, wanting to celebrate and maybe would be more likely to sit down and play a poker game with me in this, circumstance rather than at like a family barbecue or something right so um you know that was some of the information um that that we got um about uh the role of casinos for you know i think certain um lgbtq identifying individuals
3: and and i wonder with that ashley if that may be even, uh, you know, more uh, appealing or, or, or attractive in rural areas, you know, you know often in cities, at yes. least now, there are, you know, some clubs and, yes. and, and hubs and, and, and this month pra- uh, uh, parades and, you know, get togethers openly. But, oh, in small towns and rural communities and where are most of our casinos?
2: And right. <laughs> and that, that was my impression when talking yeah. to these women, you know, and these are women who, who you know, they they don't live in the city, you know, like they live in upstate New York. So I was like, OK, you know, that was the impression I got from it, too, that, you know, in the I think in the city and even maybe, you know, in um, in 2021, it might be a little bit less of an issue than it was in 1995. But I think it's still worth um, I think it's still worth exploring. Right? Like like the role that casinos do play in terms of, um, you know, one of the possibly more welcoming spaces, you know, for this population.
1: Especially when it comes down to like the slot machines, because it's so isolated. You're in your zone, you're in your yeah. pocket, you're not yeah. worried about somebody else. And that allows that type of environment to happen. We, it's just you and the machine yeah. or you on the table yeah. there's nothing
2: else so it
1: is welcoming in that sense
2: interestingly enough leilani in the australian study when they were asking about the preferred types of gambling um you know of the respondents slot games were the most common type of gambling reported among the LGBTQ respondents. I think 58% said that their like preferred gambling game of choices is is slot games. And we know that um, slot games are like a more passive escapist type of gambling because of exactly what you said. You can just, you can just zone out. You can just like forget everything else going on and just like, and just focus on this machine. And I think um, because of you know, some of the, like, social pressures, you know, and, and possible trauma and, and victimization, you know, that, um, you know, is more likely to impact LGBTQ folks in the general population, like, I think that is kind of an added vulnerability, you know, to be more susceptible with something that has that um, es- escapist kind of promise to it. Right. And and it
1: definitely is a promise that it it keeps because it it keeps your mind busy rather than thinking about the traumas that are happening to you in your life. You're just allowed a space to just escape. And the escapism is so key to how the addiction is formed yeah we're constantly we're yeah. we're running we're running from what is or what our life is like and all the the the, the pain and the trauma and it, the escapism allows us to just be free for a moment
2: yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know i also wonder and craig i wonder if you've um like encountered this at all is it okay if i jump in and ask craig a question <laughs> yeah. well, go ahead <laughs> the just, flow. Like, just getting my, i'm just getting my mind going but um but like and, and I wonder too for for like for um for like queer folks in recovery from problem gambling. Like I know a big part of recovery for a lot of people, at least in early recovery, is avoiding triggers. And like what if you're like a, a queer identifying person in recovery from problem gambling, but like your like your whole social life is connected to like it is connected to gambling, right? Like, what if, like, the gay bars you do go to have, like, a big gambling scene? Like, you know, what about, like, the gay cruises are, like, a really important form of socialization for, um, you know, for some folks in the in the community, right? Like, it's, I think it's it's harder, and I know this because I know a bunch of um, LGBTQ folks in recovery from alcoholism, like, oh, well, where else do I... I have to avoid drinking but like where else do I go to like feel safe and meet people and express my sexuality if I can't go to the gay bars right like it's it's really really hard so I'm just wondering if that like comes up with any of the folks you've worked with in um in gambling recovery you know like having extra difficulty avoiding gambling triggers because one of their only safe options for socialization is in the context where that takes place
3: yeah very much so and a great question the uh and you mentioned the cruises you know, for instance, you know, cruises, international waters, you know, the casinos, the lights, and it's kind of like a, a floating Las Vegas, you know, everything on the cruise stays on the cruise, you know, and so there's that whole feel to it, yeah. and yes, I certainly have, you know, talked with, worked with some individuals where that, that's very, very much a part of their lifestyle, is the next mm-hmm. cruise mm-hmm. and going with a bunch of other men, and, and, and these, these uh, uh, conversations, you know, on these cruises and it's sort of everything, it's alcohol, it's meeting people, it's, you know, encounters, it's gambling, it's money, it's, you know, all those things. So very much. And, and on the other, I, I guess you call it the other end of the spectrum, perhaps in a way, um, you know, I think of uh, an individual or, or two where, uh, where, where a lot of the prompt is, uh, is, again, sort of rooted in this isolation. And and where there's a very limited life, and it's like, okay, where 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 do you meet other men? Well, you know, we all know it's pretty limited. The gym, and a lot of people don't want to, you know, meet people in the gym, right? You know, and and eventually you arrive at online, and and that for whether it's you know a, a straight or a gay online experience, that has its drawbacks these days, and and so you know a few folks that that uh, that their, their lifestyle kind of de-evolves. To, you know go to work, come home, you know get something to eat and, and go get some scratch offs
1: yeah.
3: and, and then back for a little movie and go to bed and do the same thing the next day. So that that's at least something you know it's almost again like you know other types of addiction it's at least something that makes my day a bit rewarding or something to look forward to in the short term. And of course it works in the short term we know once I develop a relationship with the gambling experience that that sets off an inordinate spark in my brain, you know, an inordinate response in the pleasure center. So it's even better than, uh, you know, watching Netflix or something. If it's, uh, you know, if I am addicted to alcohol, the alcohol has this huge reward function. If I'm addicted to scratch offs. There's this huge reward function. And there is a social life around, this is really interesting, around uh, scratch-offs at the corner stores. A lot of us that might just kind of go <laughs> in and get a, you know, yeah. an ice know and leave don't necessarily see it. But there is often a collection, if you really look, of six to 10 to 15 people kind of milling, mulling, in and out at different times of the day. It really is a social uh, context for scratch-offs, which is, which is interesting. So does
1: that make it harder for a person trying to seek treatment or um, a person who's in recovery? Because it, you know, at some point, if that's your true social hour and we don't want what, what we don't hope that happens is um, going from one addiction to another addiction because that can easily happen. Um, but how can somebody find a different social hour or find a different path to make their day lighter, or easier? Because that that is, that has become their lifestyle. Good, bad, or indifferent.
3: <laughs> well, I, I think if I could, I think the... Uh, it's you know it is similar in that way maybe to the challenges of recoveries from from you know most addictions i mean we don't just ask you to to, you know stop drinking we ask you to stop drinking change your friends get an entirely different social life oh and do a whole bunch of different activities and avoid everywhere you've been going and in fact avoid most of your family yeah yeah yeah, you know what i mean so it's this whole package i think it's absolutely true of, of many people with a with a gambling problem i had one gentleman uh, described to me, <clears throat> uh, and I see people, you know, all, all, all different socioeconomic levels, okay, some are extremely successful doing the cruises, have the money, and and, and so on, and sometimes losing huge sums of, of money in the context of their, their addiction, but I think one gentleman talks about he's got his place, and about three houses down is the corner store with the beer, and another three houses the other way is a store with the scratch-offs. You know, so he gets him and something doesn't kind of immediately fill his his uh, activity board for the day, which it hasn't lately. And so he has become very progressed. um, He's going one way or the other. You know, it's right there. And uh, so to make those kinds of changes for him, it means to kind of get up, get out the door, get out of the neighborhood, you know, go fishing two miles away or something to, to kind of break that. It's a huge challenge for people. And, and real quick, just back, if I could, to the, the when we are talking about the casinos, you know, one of the things that we have done at times is to do a 50-mile radius around casinos and racinos, just in terms of, they do that a lot of times in the design and the marketing, you know, when they propose to build a, a new casino. And in upstate, we have overlaps all over the place. You know, the, you hop in your car and you can go left, you can go right, you can go here, you can go there. There are people that'll go to three or four different casinos or racinos in the course of an evening. Hmm. So yeah. Lots of
0: access. No, definitely. And, and something that the research does show just in general about problem gambling is in that 50 mile radius of a single gambling outlet the rates of problem gambling double. So when you have these overlaps and you have, and and actually I do want to just, it's something that's been mulling in my head is that correction made in in language, right? Casinos and different gambling um, establishments a few decades back weren't seen as safe places, but instead as neutral places. Um, And I think Leilani, just going back to your question just now, in terms of finding that recovery, it is... A really great progression that we've made in our communities to have safe places, to have genuinely welcoming yeah. and safe and pro-social and supportive, inviting, you know, we genuinely safe places to be. And I agree, Craig, there are, there's just so many outlets, so much availability, access to not only gambling, but also alcohol use, also with substance use, right? And to be In recovery, to be on that road to recovery. It's so important to find those pro-social, welcoming, genuinely safe environments that will welcome you in wholeheartedly and not say, oh, you know, to be here, to not feel isolated. This is what we're not going to go to a casino, but instead we're going to have a movie night. We're going to create systems and networks where you can just be genuinely healthy and with with others and I think that's so important to mention is, although obviously there is much work to do. um, I think it's always important to look back and see the progression that we've made because you know, there has been such such great strides in the the realm of recovery, um, and specifically for the LGBTQ community um, to have safer spots.
3: And, yeah. and you know, one of the things there that, in terms of a safe spot in recovery, uh, it, it reminds me that you know, in you get into any size metropolitan area, and many people can at least access some of our medium sized cities upstate and or, or, or downstate, um, where in in groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, we have gay meetings, we have lesbian yeah. meetings, we have men's yeah. meetings, we have women's, we have deaf gay meetings we have yeah. you know you can find kind of find your crew in recovery in GA even in Rochester As an example we've got like five meetings very honestly they are almost entire god bless them we love them but they're almost entirely straight older gentlemen so to to find a meeting uh as a younger gay gentleman or a young, or a lesbian or whatever is Often hard to find that kind of welcoming uh, in, in GA. It's just not as developed, certainly, as groups like AA or others are. And and
1: I think that's the key word: developed. Um, as as. Yeah. We have made great strides. Um, we are still a very new in terms of gambling addiction, very, very new in the community. And as we are growing, we are developing, we are expanding our our resource, our resources, our knowledge, our research. I think these spaces will continue, will open up as something as prevalent as, as, as drugs and alcohol, where there are a lot of spaces where people can connect and, and, and find support. We are just, we are literally finding our way. And with conversations like this, we can possibly, who knows what can come out of this this one podcast. Somebody may have the idea and say, we want to start a, a, a support group for ourselves within the whole GA community or gamma non-community. but one thing I was uh, uh, thinking about when it comes down to support and resources in our community, I think one of the great things about um, working for the New York Council on Problem Gambling is that we have this component where it is the treatment side, the clinical side, and getting, connecting people to help. But then we have this prevention and education side where we're able to get out in community and learn what are the other resources that are in the community, so if it's, if, if, if gambling yes it is every 50 mile radius there is something every corner store every go- grocery store a gas station somebody you can you have opportunities to gamble you you know via lottery system or um scratch offs. but there are communities that are having a, now it is the season to have like outdoor movies um mm-hmm. uh games or or or, or, or uh, things in the park you know there's there's things happening and as a prevention uh, a team leader where I do a lot of prevention, I'm learning all these things to pass along to say, here's opportunities we're sharing on our social media platforms. Here are other opportunities that you can partake in without going towards um you know, or staying away from something that is, is detrimental to your overall health. So it, it's just, it's just things that we're trying to do
3: to yeah. improve or help. Mm-hmm. At large. Love the idea, you know, in in the self-help and recovery world. Some people are okay with the Zoom meetings, some not. You know what I mean? you get kind of mixed, but it would be nice even if it's on Zoom to have a, a gay yes. support a GA or yes. a support meeting, or uh would be a wonderful resource that people could chime into from different parts of the state.
2: Yes. Maybe somebody's listening to this right now <laughs> who is queer identified and in recovery from problem gambling, and they're like, I'm gonna do this. Right. I'm well, gonna start have know, inspiration because we are a Zoom GA meeting. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It all starts from an
1: idea and it all starts from a conversation, yeah. and uh yeah. And it, if any person is interested, you know, I, you can speak with us and possibly we can help support you in all the efforts that you you may want to do in regards to starting or creating or connect you. We're also connectors. We're great connectors. We're not just support, yeah. we're great yeah. connectors.
2: And I really like how we're talking a lot about, like everything we're mentioning before about, you know, having... You know these groups available and safe spaces and alternative activities like it's it's all environmental strategies. Um, you know which which is huge. You know because even though um, you know treatments and that one on one support um, or small group clinical support like even though that's and um, it that is an essential component to healing. You know if you look at any marginalized community, like including LGBTQ folks, part of the reason you know why life can become so stressful is because a lot of external circumstances right so you know i I really like how we're incorporating um that environmental strategies piece um in into the discussion because it's such a huge part of the picture
0: oh ashley you are uh, after my own heart because so Mm. (laughs) <laughs> but in, before doing this, I did work on yeah. prevention and, and something yeah. we talk about a lot is you know, if you think about someone in a standard treatment environment, they spend about an hour with a clinician once a week, there are 168 hours in a week and they spend one yes. hour with that clinician. So what is happening mm. 167 hours, right? So yeah. what is going on? What what environment are you in? If you're in this space where you are you know, able to connect with the clinician, you're able to have this clinical uh, relationship and really delve into what's going on. Once you walk out of that office space, if, you know, with COVID, once you turn your your laptop off, whatever, you know, whatever way you're having that session, what environment are you entering back into and how can we make that environment more welcoming and safe um, for everyone in it? Uh, and I think it's, it's so important to, so thank you, just... My heart was I know, just and it. I think it,
3: I'll tell you it really uh, resonates <clears throat> so well from the treatment and recovery perspective that you know almost every addiction ultimately ends up with the experience of isolation, inadequacy, lack of connection, but with the LGBTQ population, that is emboldened. Again, one of the key themes is just there's, there's so much of that. And it makes just getting into that, that starting gate uh, a matter of like what sheer willpower. And, and we know that that is a very time limited uh, 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 resource or tool for, for most people in, in recovery. So anything that helps people connect, feel a part of a community, a group, uh, an alternative or what have you. Would be wonderful, wonderful for those uh, struggling in uh, in recovery.
0: Craig, you, you took the words out of my mouth. So I was going to say, what best practices? You know, would you have? Would would you offer? I know that a lot of our clinicians, um, not only in our region but across the state, um, you know, are comfortable working and and would you know be more than happy to to work with someone that's in this community. And I think that it's important to mention. You know, there are so many risk factors. Um, that are impacting this community specifically. So just being cognizant of those risk factors, just being cognizant of how we can help to add protective factors uh, to that environment is very important. So if you have any more comments on that, or actually want to chime anything in in there, I think it's important to um, really kind of pull those out for any clinicians that are listening in.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, and I'm sure, you know, Craig can um, probably speak more to this um, when I'm done, but I, you know, one thing that, uh, that I would definitely recommend to clinicians is to, you know, because there's, there, there's a lot of people, right. And this is not limited to clinicians. This is like humans in general, right. There's a lot of people who have, generally tolerant and accepting attitudes towards the lgbtq population but you know when when you're looking at one-on-one conversations you know there are a lot of um you know i think if you're in any position of privilege there's a lot of like microaggressions and like things within the conversation that can kind of happen accidentally like without you know the person who has let's say in this case heterosexual privilege like kind of even realizing you know that that um, they said something that might have been like invalidating or off-putting. So I do think, you know, even for the you know for clinicians who um, see themselves as an ally, you know, to this population, like get cultural competence training anyway, and if possible, directly from an LGBTQ person, if possible, you know, um, because. there is definitely the potential even with good intentions to kind of say things in the room or react in certain ways that can come off as um invalidating um you know invalidating or kind of misunderstanding you know where the the person is come from coming from and like and to kind of go beyond just being like queer accepting to queer affirming, right? Like not just like I'm tolerant of this, this that's okay, but really like in, encouraging people, you know, to um, like embrace and honor their truth, right, and their identity. So it's like go a step beyond accepting, you know, um, you know, and and really uh, you know validate um, and encourage this, you know, very. Um, Unique part of the, of the person's um, sexuality. So, yeah. Greg, like, I don't know if you have anything to add, but that would be. Yeah,
3: yeah. absolutely co sign that, Ashley. I like everything you, you, you said there, and that the, you know, both our strength and our weakness uh, in the clinical world is that we have theory and we have strategies and we have technology and, and, and things that we do in working with people to help and to promote recovery. But then it's very easy, the liability is, okay, we know how to do this recovery thing. Yeah, yeah, you're black or you're Native American or you're white, but let's talk about recovery. No, no. You know, if, if, if you're gay, lesbian, transgender questioning, yes we want to talk about recovery but that's such a, a a deep personal experience identity it's so highly relevant that it can't be that afterthought or that tail on the dog um we learned that more so haven't we you know in particular over the last uh, you know year or two our cultural issues have moved so much front and center that we really need to start with with who people are as opposed to start with what diagnosis they have or what's wrong with them or this pathway to, to recovery. And um, so it's so important to, uh, to, to incorporate that. And if somebody is uh, uh, identifies as LGBTQ, I think a lot of the things we're talking about to be able to have the patience and the empathy, and the, the, the ability to walk with them through what might be a more difficult pathway, not all the time, but sometimes yeah. because of these issues of the isolation and, 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 and the socializing and the, the lack of connection and intimacy that some may experience, um, that you know, giving up gambling is not just giving up gambling and, and to really have that patience and perseverance and working with people is so important.
1: Identity is um, is such a huge component in everything that we are in every community. And um, that's why we try to be careful is like saying it's, you know, that person is a problem gambler rather than it's a person who is struggling with a gambling addiction. Like we don't wanna identify that that that's who they are rather than that's what they're experiencing. Um, and I know the mental health uh, field is really working. I think everybody's really working hard about stigmatizing uh, language and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, people really, and I think in in any community, but people really struggle with identity, the loss of identity. And then if you, you know, and then that, that whole process is a grieving process. And even with grieving, you can come back to escapism. And then even if, even in a process of recovery, grieving the person that you was, you know, Gambling became a part, Didn't be, it didn't become who you was, it just became a part of your identity because it's something that you was doing all the time. So when you're in treatment and recovery, it's so important to really deal with that identity piece because you're going to be grieving that. And God knows how long it'll take for a person to actually grieve and, and go through that journey. And what does that journey look like? So I'm really glad you brought up that that you know that, that piece of stigma and identity.
3: And I, I just I was just to add that that, you know, so far the conversation, I think it's been great, has kind of landed with, with people who identify. Um I just want to highlight that there is that group of people who are questioning. Who don't know, who are in, you know, the the psychological transition, uh, and and in a great deal of turmoil and distress, and so that's just another layer, isn't it? You know, on top of the gambling and on top of other issues in their life, and to be sensitive to that as well. Mm-hmm.
2: To piggyback off of what Craig said, you know, this topic of um, stigma and identity is reminding me of something else that I um, discovered while I was doing um, some of the qualitative data research. So one of my sources when I was doing this whole project, finding out information, was um, the All Bats Are Off podcast podcast. in I think it was season two episode seven um I have a thing with numbers I just remember them I think it was um season (laughs) which is good when I'm talking about data which is a season two episode seven um I believe on the all bets are uh, all bets are off podcast they had a guest on that podcast who was um a gay male from the UK who was also in recovery from problem gambling and when they were when when this male was being interviewed um he mentioned um this was so interesting so he had mentioned that he realized he had a problem gambling uh, roughly about like two decades or so you know after he came out as a gay man and he mentioned that when he came out about his sexuality, he had a very supportive experience. You know, his mother was supportive, his friends were supportive, and it was this thing that he was, like, really scared to do because it was such a vulnerable thing, and it ended up okay. And interestingly enough, he said that He's like, you know what, he he was like, I wonder if on like like a subconscious level, it made me easier. It made it easier for me to come out about my gambling problem because it was the most vulnerable thing he had revealed about himself since he came out as gay. And he was like, you know what? I was really scared about this, but I opened up to people I trusted and it was okay. And he mentioned that he has other um, friends who identify as gay, who also gamble and, and may have a gambling problem, um, and they had very different coming out experiences than this man who was the guest on the podcast did. You know, they were like a lot more. Um, they they did not get a supportive response. Um, you know, and and he was he was like, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but I do wonder. You know, if their negative experience and lack of support when coming out may be influencing, you know, their reluctance to like come to terms with a possible gambling problem because, you know, last time they opened up about something that vulnerable, the response was not supportive, right? So, you know, obviously we don't have the data or the numbers to, to prove that, but I but I think that um, it is it is definitely something. To give some thought to, right? Because you know there are there, there's stigma and negative stereotypes of, you know uh, for people with every addiction, but you know gambling especially included, and especially since a lot of people don't really understand gambling, right? They think it's a choice and like a moral decision, and like it's it's so much right. It, it's we all know it's so much more nuanced than than that. So it makes me think of like you know if you know, if people not just with, you know, coming out with sexuality, but if they were stigmatized for like something else about them, like, does it make it that much harder to then come out about, um, a potential gambling problem too?
3: I think there's a lot to that, Ashley. It's sort of like the you know we have models of, of change uh, according to D. Clemente, models of how we change. I think we have models of you know getting honest or coming out or or you know admitting uh, something that others would see as an area of weakness or vulnerability or failure yeah. or what have you, and in yeah. drawing from a, a, a couple of people that actually. Uh, Some uh, folks identifying as LGBTQ uh, that actually kind of, you know, get that dotted line connection, you know, as well. You know, when I came out, I was accepted. I don't know why it was so hard for me to talk to my family about my gambling, you you know. But once they did, they realized they also had a a, a favorable and understanding reception from others. Um, And I think similarly with people with uh, uh, problem drinking. You know, if they're in recovery, kind of from there to then, you know, acknowledge the gambling problem is sometimes a little smoother if you know, yes, positive. I can see that. And, and, and supportive reception. So I think that's a, a, good, a good thought.
0: One thing I want to just add to this conversation. So I think it was this past Sunday. Um we had in New York state, an open GA meeting that they were able to uh, do via Zoom. And it was really excellent just to, you know be able to to enter that um, environment because in our area anyway, there aren't any open meetings where you're able to you know, really connect and hear the powerful stories of those that are in recovery. Um, And one thing that was said that has just really resonated with me this past week um, is that, you know, when you're in the process of opening up and being in that vulnerable space and sharing with those that are closest to you, that you're struggling with whatever it may be. In this case, we're talking about gambling. Um, it it can be really hard to metaphorically cross that bridge. Um, but one of the speakers was saying that once he did open up, he found out that others in their circle, also were having the same difficulties or also having the same challenges and that they could together work through that. And at first they felt very um, afraid of how they would be received and afraid of how, you know, I'm struggling with this problem. There must be something wrong with me and I have to figure that by myself. And once they found out, wait, I'm not alone in this. Others are also experiencing these challenges and we can help each other through that. Mm-hmm. Um, Having that connection with those in their own personal circle was really impactful for them. And I think, um, you know, it just really kind of all of this just feels very connected, right? Once you're able to have that connection and you know that you're not the only person experiencing these challenges, whether it be gambling addiction, whether it be having a hard time, you know, uh, I'm sorry, having a hard time, you know, coming out to your family and, and really having that discussion or it be a different addiction or, whatever it may be, right? Like once you're able to be that authentic self and, and really say, this is what's going on. This is the good, the bad, the in between. Um, and this is where I can use your support, being able to have that, that environment and that support is really helpful. And I think that, you know, unfortunately for some people, they don't always receive that immediate positive reaction or that immediate support, but I, I don't know. I'm, definitely like an optimist at heart. And I just hope that, you know, as if anything comes out of this COVID pandemic, it's that we're able to connect with so many people across the globe, right? Like maybe someone in your immediate circle isn't experiencing the same thing and they're not as accepting or welcoming as we all would hope. But there are so many people that are impacting, so, you know, impacted by so many things. And hopefully we can have more, you know, whether it be through Zoom or it be through online forums, whatever that case may be where people are able to find that network of support because it is just so impactful and it can be so important.
1: Well, this was wonderful.
2: I agree. <laughs> <This> <laughs> Thank you This so was
1: amazing conversation. Yeah, um, so if there was one message that you would like to share in, um, to the world in regards to problem gambling, gambling addiction, and the LGBTQAI+ plus community. What would it be?
3: I said the only thing that that, that that comes to mind is a a, a pretty basic one, uh, which is uh, is that of of understanding and willingness to learn. You know, as was mentioned, were uh, you know a, a generation or two behind other addictions and behind mental health understandings yes. and, and 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 other yes. things, with uh, kind of the gambling uh, uh, responses in, in general, and uh, kind of splice that in with cultural issues and uh, people identify as LGBTQ is a relatively new uh, horizon. And and so I think the advocacy for understanding and the willingness to to, to learn is uh, is so important moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think they're both new horizons, right? I mean, I think and I think in some ways, problem gambling is even like a little bit newer, you know, in terms of like the infrastructure and the education that's um, that's uh, you know set around to support it. So yeah, I mean, if I had a son. Um, any message to like a queer identified person who thinks they might have a problem gambling out there? It would just be um, I see you, I hear you, and we're working on it.
3: And
1: this yeah. podcast and everything that we do shows that we are working on it. We're working Absolutely. on trying to be better. We're working on trying to do better. We're working okay. on connecting people care, whether you're struggling or you are affected by it. We are working hard on, on all different, on different levels with many people to make sure that you are seen and you are heard. Uh, Ashley, do you want to promote, uh, the new training that is coming up?
2: Absolutely. So if anybody is interested, um, I am doing a, uh, training on LGBTQIA folks and, uh, problem gambling. Um, it's going to be offered through our parents agency, the New York council on problem gambling. Um, you can go to, um, if you go to our website, which is nyproblemgambling.org and go to the little training tab, um, you will see it advertised as one of our, or as a webinar tab. I think it's a I webinar. Believe it's a, okay, it's a, either a training or a webinar tab. You can go to it and you'll see it um, recognized. Um, you'll you'll you know you'll see it come up um, as an upcoming uh, webinar. It will be Monday, June twenty eighth at twelve p.m., which is also the fifty second anniversary of the Stonewall the Stonewall uprising. Ooh. That was intentional. That was intentional, so it will be at 12 p.m. Eastern time um, uh, on Monday, June 28th. Um, If you are a New York State licensed uh, social worker, mental health counselor or KSAC, um, including ksac G you can get uh, one continuing education credit hour um, towards your state licensure but you don't have to be licensed to come anybody you know anybody who wants to learn about it can be a tent. we will you know um, you know some of the information I talked about here is in the training um, but you'll get even more you know and you'll get like all the breakdown of like the resources available at the end so it will definitely you know if you want to learn more about either working with the LGBTQIA+ population in general or working with problem gambling. Um, you'll learn more about both you know throughout this uh,
0: presentation so I definitely um, definitely encourage you to join. And actually is that training going to be recorded for anyone who wouldn't be able to join the live session? I believe so but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay,
2: well, so right. yeah, fingers cross for you.
0: Yeah, website yeah. 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 <laughs> because there's excellent, excellent trainings that are listed yeah. there. Um, yeah. Well, Craig, actually, do you have any? Uh, oh, I was to yeah. say, Craig, do you have any lasting words or anything
3: you want to share? No, this has been wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity and the uh, the uh, vehicle to, to to get out some of the awareness and uh, hopefully help people get connected.
2: Thank and you. happy Pride Month, y'all. Happy Pride Month. Thank we still got another, you know, I don't know when this is going to be broadcasted, but as of today, we have.
1: <laughs> no, it'll be, I we still have it'll some time. Broad- <laughs> it'll be broadcasted before the end of the month. Excellent.
2: Um, Excellent.
1: I would uh, just remind the listeners that we are the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center. Um, there are seven resource centers throughout New York State that provide the same Same type of resources in regards to connecting people to care, as well as providing education um, and prevention messaging across the board. Mm -hmm. We are here to raise awareness about problem gambling, the gambling addiction, and connect not just the people who are struggling with this addiction, but those who are affected by it. We know that it's not just the gambler, not just the addict, um, but those who are affected by it that, that need to need help, need support as well. So, of course, you can always go to, as Ashley said, the the, the New York Council on Problem Gambling, our parent <laughs> organization. Mm-hmm. Their website is nyproblemgambling.org. You can see all of our resource centers, our locations there. We are well represented within this, this podcast today because we have the Mid Hudson region. We have New York City, and we also have Finger Lakes. Finger Lakes. So <laughs> <laughs> we are. There are, we are. Other, there are other resource centers. Or there are there other regions in in New York State? But we are. I'm so glad that we are well represented um, with uh, representing New York as a whole, representing you as a community, and um, just representing this particular addiction so thank you for joining the hidden addiction um we are we we post once a month we record once a month so we don't know what the next topic will be but stay tuned stay
3: tuned (laughs) great
2: thank you everybody thank you everyone